Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Another exciting week in athletics. We have reached the final four in the NCAA tournament. And after all the chaos and surprises and upsets and Cinderella's that we've seen in the early rounds of the tournament, we end up getting a final four with a couple ones, a two, and a name that anyone that has watched college basketball automatically knows although the team has not performed necessarily to what the school is used to having it perform when it reaches the final four. There's some normalcy in this remaining two games, Baylor Gonzaga seemingly on a collision course. Number two, Houston who has been beloved by the Saber metrics and analytics for this tournament and the shock of all shocks. Number 11, UCLA representing that Pac-12 that entered the Elite Eight with a third of it. Unfortunately, they only end up with one, but they'll take it. I'm going to have to speak well of Gonzaga, who seemingly now are just going to coast right into the national championship. We got football news to talk about. Nobody circles the wagons on this show quite like the National Football League. One extra game for all you savages and gamblers out there to obsess over. A week 17, very exciting. We'll get into that. But we got to start with, in March, the best sport to talk about, college basketball, the Final Four. Any surprise for what we ended up with? How excited are you for this to kick off and see who's going to get into the national championship? Do whatever you can, NCAA. Just make sure we get in these damn games, and so far, so good. Well... John, I hope all of our friends and fans and listeners and you have enjoyed the tournament as much as I have. Ratings are up, which is a good thing. The transfer portal is open. A lot of kids are changing schools, including for my alma mater, it looks like. But it has been an entertaining tournament. It's been a competitive tournament. It's been a compelling tournament. There have been some ugly games. Last night's UCLA-Michigan game was about as ugly a one-seed can fly. Michigan was awful. They could not put the ball in the ocean. UCLA got out early, scoring with their star player, uh, who had a terrific game, and carried them, and they hung on. Fell behind by a point after Michigan three. I think it was the last basket Michigan made. They simply could not put the ball, as the saying goes, in the ocean if they were sitting in the boat. So bye-bye to that one seed. And ironically now, UCLA which four times has gone through perfect seasons. Once in the mid-60s with Gail Goodrich, once with Lou Alcindor in the Alcindor reign, 67, 68, 69. 
and twice with the Walton gang, 72-73, when they were undefeated. It's part of the 88-game winning streak. So they've done it four of the six times it's been done. The other time, 57 North Carolina, the Tar Heels beat Will Chamberlain's Kansas team in triple overtime. And, of course, the last team to do it, the 1975-76 Indiana Hoosiers. So irony of ironies, UCLA, who's done it four of the six times, stands in their way of their goal to win their first national title and become the seventh team to go undefeated. And if it happens, it will happen in Indiana, where the Hoosiers obviously reign supreme. Uh, I think it's historical. I think it's terrific. People have been ripping on this Gonzaga squad, say they haven't played anybody, say the conference stinks, et cetera. But they can't help the conference they're in. We know the West Coast Conference is not a great conference. It's barely a, a mediocre conference. But they've gone out of conference and they've played everybody you could possibly play. And they beat them and they beat them handily. Their only non-double-digit win was against a good West Virginia team. And they had Baylor scheduled and we lost that game to COVID. And we may finally get that game, which is the game that really everyone has been pointing towards all year long. Saying that Gonzaga and Baylor were the two best teams in the country with Michigan knocking on the door, with Illinois knocking on the door. I got on the Illinois bandwagon. I jumped all over it, watched them, liked them, and said, hey, this just might be the second best team in the country because I worry about Baylor's ability to score. Well, what happened to Illinois? As we talked about last week, not even a scare. No, 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 no. A scare is when you barely survive. This is a go-home. Knocked out, second round, stunning to me by Loyola. Pretty good team, maybe a missed seed, but sends them home. I had them pitted for the finals in most of my brackets. In another, I had Baylor and Gonzaga. I think Baylor and Houston will be a good game, uh, but Baylor has clearly been the better team all year long. Houston obviously beat my orange. They're very good defensively, the best defensive team in the country, but Baylor's very strong defensively. And on the other side, I, I, I don't know how UCLA went. You know, we've said this before. I don't know how a team can win this game. I don't know how. UCLA can win this game. Everybody can put up a stinker. Everyone go out and play the worst game of their life. But it's so at odds with everything Baylor has done all year long. And remember, Baylor's been to the Final Four. They lost in the last minute to North Carolina in the championship game a few years back. So this is not bright lights, big city for Mark Few. Never been there before. Never done that. He almost won a national title a few years ago. They're the best team. They've been the best team all year long. I'll be shocked if they don't handily beat UCLA and then go to take on Baylor, who I think will uh, I, I think will dispose of Houston relatively easily. Houston's a pretty good team. They're very good defensively. They got a couple scores. But I just think Baylor is too versatile and too experienced, well-coached. Although the knock on Scott Drew has always been in this tournament, he tends to struggle against lesser opponents. His team struggle to score. Houston struggles to score. Uh, against my Syracuse team, 
they were defended well. They only shot about 35%. Problem with Syracuse, they couldn't score. Could not score. They defended Buddy Beheim well. And the other guys who had opportunities, uh, whether from three or in close when they attacked the rim, they just couldn't knock them down. Every time Syracuse made a little bit of run, they had a big shot that could have put them you know, within three or four, and they just couldn't knock it down. Houston's credit, as Coach Bayham said post-game, they played terrific defensively, and they were clearly the better team. And uh, I, they, they disposed of Oregon State, no surprise there, after they got it to a big lead and almost gave it away. And I, I think that will be a fierce game. It may not be a pretty game, but I think it'll be a fierce game. But I think Baylor is clearly the better team. And uh, we're headed for a, a spot that many of us, a good chunk of the season, depending on the way the bracket's set up, thought we were going to get to, which is the two best teams in the country for the most really lion's share of the season. You're undefeated, Gonzaga Bulldogs. And your Baylor Bears. And I hope it's terrific. I think it's going to be terrific. And if, if Gonzaga pulls it off, I don't want to hear that, you know, they couldn't beat Indiana or they couldn't beat UCLA or they couldn't beat the Walton game. Well, of course they couldn't beat the Walton game. Of course they couldn't beat Lewell Center. It's a different game. Powerhouse teams, all-time teams. But you can't tell me if you become the seventh team in the history of the sport to do something and the first one to do it in 45 years, that you're not a great team. I will label them a great team. Absolutely, positively, if they pull this off. Because they play great basketball. That's why they're a great team. They win all their games, and they play great basketball. They pass. They cut. They move without the ball. They attack the rim. They shoot twos. They shoot mid-range shots. They shoot layups. They shoot threes. They are versatile. They are not just step-back jack. They're not just run and gun. They play the game the right way. And that is great for the sport and great to see. And I hope to hell that Mark Few gets his press ring because he seems like a really cool guy. Uh, been to the dance once before, came really close, maligned by many because of the conference they play in, maligned by many because they've only been to the Final Four twice. Well, they're there again, and the odds are in favor to win it, and I hope they pull it off. Just to remind everyone, we're what 15 years, the anniversary of the last time UCLA and Gonzaga played in the tournaments and sweet 16. And what a sweet, sweet game that was to watch. If you despised Adam Morrison, because you were a fan of JJ Reddick, it's the, story the, that never ends. the game for Mr. It's the Morrison. story that never ends from the new report. It's the forever grudge against Gonzaga because JJ Reddick did not win the player, the wooden awards player of the year. Bad, bad close for Mr. Adam Morrison. couple missed shots. They couldn't run the clock out. 
panicked, crying on the court before the game was even over. You know what I missed too, Al? Remember the five-second rule for when you would dribble? And they they wouldn't just count for a held ball. They'd count for when you dribble too if the defender was close enough. Can we bring that back, please? I used to love that part of basketball. Watch the referee. Watch the referee's hand. You watch the referee's hand. One. You see him with the counting. One, two, three. And then the guy moves the ball. Switch to the left. Yeah. Same thing. (laughs) But there was no, for example, UCLA runs an offense that purports that they have a four point lead with about a minute and a half to go in the game, whether or not they actually do in that moment, or it's the first four minutes of the basketball game. They walk the ball up the floor. They relax on the top of the key. Everybody gets set and where they're going about 15 seconds into the shot clock. We start moving a little bit and starting to make things happen. Hurry up and do something. Will you please make something exciting happen? Will you? They just dribble the air out of the basketball. And the crazy part of it, Al, is it's worked to get them from the first four into the final four. And I, for one, cannot believe it. Remember, folks, this is the first team to go from the first four to the final four. If they win the national championship, they will have to win not six, but seven games to do it. Uh, I think the jig is up. And remember, down 13 in game one, first four against the little general, the war criminal himself, Tom Izzo and company, (laughs) before his team uh, pulled their choke job. Had to go to overtime. And... Here they are. Shockingly. I've been on the wrong side of UCLA all year. Now I play the music for Pac-12 this morning on Sirius XM 373 from 11 to 2. So I hear of UCLA. I don't pay as close attention to the show as I might for when I'm on ACC. But no one can figure out this UCLA team. No one figured out the conference, Al, all year. It was a surprise to see everyone do as successful as they did, except for maybe Oregon and USC. And then even that game was a toss up to who knows who's going to win this one. We'll see. And can they beat Gonzaga? Well, it showed that neither of them, I don't think would have had quite the shot, but UCLA has been a surprise. I thought USC was going to give Gonzaga a run for their money. Silly me. I thought their athleticism, I thought the Mobley brothers would cause problems for them, especially inside, and they blew them out of the building. Top team in blocked shots this season, and they had zero against Gonzaga. Blew them out of the building. Too much ball movement, ability to attack the rim. Again, cutting, screening, moving without the ball, cutting hard. Everybody moving, you know, it's, it's a basketball is a beautiful sport to watch when it is played properly with ball movement and with player movement instead of stagnation, pound the ball, step back three stagnation, pound the ball, go one-on-one two passes, take a three. Yeah. The notion of guys going back door, cutting hard to the basket, actually using their feet to cut hard, movements, angles, back door cuts, 
old-fashioned screen and roll opening up to the ball. Double screens. Legal screens. Not the standard moving screens that everybody runs now. Watching the way they move the basketball and they move as a unit and seeing how there's constant movement. There is no standing around in their half-court offense. They make you work defensively. Playing offense is easy because you're always running forward. Playing defense is hard work because you are always running backwards and they keep you running backwards. You don't get to rest against them defensively. There's no time where you can just sit and watch your guy. Can't do it. You can't do it. That's why I think sometimes a zone might be the most effective defense against them. And remember, Baylor plays his own. So that also is another reason I really want to see this matchup. The athleticism and size and strength of Baylor and that zone against Gonzaga's constant movement. How will they handle the zone? Uh, will they fall into the trap of just shooting threes? Uh, because you know what happens sometimes when you fall in love with the three ball. It can shoot you out of games. And you, you, get, you get out of sync with your offense. Now, I think they're too smart for that. I think they're too good for that, but that remains to be seen. And we'll see how UCLA plays them. But I think that uh, I think they've got way too much firepower for USC. And I, I think that uh, the Cinderella slipper is, is finally not going to fit. Clock's going to strike midnight, and, and UCLA turns back into a pumpkin. And that's no discredit to them. Cronin's does an excellent job. It's not a pretty team. He's not a pretty coach. He's a nuts and bolts, defensive-minded coach. Their offense is a lot of hard work. It's a lot of screen roll. Uh, It's not a lot of threes. Uh, They put the ball in the hands of their point guard. He goes to the basket a lot. He kicks. Uh, He runs some mid-range jumpers. Uh, But I like the way they play because, again, they don't rely solely on the three. They don't, when they're behind, they don't try and come back by just jacking threes. And they work hard on the defensive end. But I, I do believe their jig is up. You know, Michigan allows Juzang to go for 28 points, half of UCLA's points in the game, and couldn't break 50. Now, we heard all tournament long that Let's not forget Michigan's playing without one of its better players and Isaiah livers, but then they went out and dominated up until this game. And you thought, well, who needs the guy? They're scoring 80 plus against LSU, knocking them out. They came back in the second half and won against Florida state. And I, had Flor- and I had Florida state winning that game. Very that good was team why I had in Florida state. Sometimes that's where I had the Michigan run ending against so, Florida state. So they suckered me. They sucked me in. They sucked me in. And UCLA scores 88 against Alabama, which was shocking in its own right. But you think, well, they're not going to repeat a performance like that again offensively. And they did not. You should be able to beat a basketball team that scores 51 points. And Michigan had team, one of the worst collapses we've seen in recent memory in the tournament. Toward an the Alabama game. team that lost the game at the foul line. Absolutely. Throughout, not just late, but throughout. And just take some absolutely mindless threes. Mindless. 
early in the shot clock. I can't stand duck and chuck threes off the dribble early in the shot clock. When you're athletic, you can get that shot anytime you want. Why aren't you driving to the basket with your athleticism? Driving and kicking. Driving and driving for layups. Attacking. Just early in the shot clock. In a huge spot, too. In huge spots. Tie game. Up one. Down one. Just dribble and chuck a three with a hand in your face, you know, with 20 seconds to go in the shot clock. You, you can get that anytime you want. So, and I like their team. And they tie it, send it in overtime, and then still give it away. Get dominated, get thoroughly dominated in overtime. When, for some reason, supposedly, McCronin thought they had overheard that they were going to foul, so he was afraid that if his kids went to foul, they were going to put up a shot and get, a th- get three free throws out of you must foul. Yeah. You must foul on they the just triple watched. at half court. Sit around and watch. It was unbelievable. As soon as that ball's inbounded at half court on the dribble, you foul. What are you thinking? Shocking. And then when Alabama makes three, okay, they're going to win in overtime. And they get dismantled in overtime. Absolutely dismantled. And they absolutely <laughs> killed the under in that game, Al, which I had. And it was cruising well, along and chugging along. That's your own fault. And that you asshole had to tie under. the game on a three. And then they get you blown should, out in overtime. At least win the game. You should never bet an under. At least win the Ever. game. This whole Ever. tournament has been under sound. Nobody could shoot. Nobody could shoot this tournament. I'd love to hear from a coach. I don't know if they've talked to the NCAA about this, if they kind of have to keep mum about it. But I'm curious to just hear how the day-by-day has gone for these teams because I have a feeling it can't be anywhere close to what it normally is as far as gym time in general for practices, but then extra gym time. Like, hey, coach, I'm going to go get a couple shots up. I don't think they're able to do that stuff that they would normally be able to do under the protocols that they have. I think it would probably just be you have practice and you got to go back to the hotel. We can't risk you walking around even. So I think that that has to have affected some of these I'm teams. Sure There's been does. some horrendous shooting nights and there usually is in general because these domes and football stadiums that they put the kids into have the worst backdrops that you could possibly have to shoot a basketball in. So it's understandable. The rims suck. There's more shots that bounce around like a roulette table and come out than you'll ever see now, but not being able it's to shoot either can't help. It can help. And that's really killed some teams and it hurt Michigan. I well, mean, yeah, but Michigan, what, what, they're, they're down the stretch. They're st- what are they doing? Then off the miss, the kid's got a layup. Uh, the second last possession, he's got a layup. He rushes it. And instead of going, instead of taking one trouble, going up, laying it in, he tries to lay it in the fading away. Go up strong on the same side of the basket. You want to just lay it up and tie the game. That was street ball. Either somebody called a foul or the whistle blew in a pickup and you just kind of throw it over your shoulder, hoping it's going in, but the play's dead. No, dude, the play wasn't dead. You had seven seconds left. What are you doing? Their last eight shots. They didn't score a field goal. I think it was five minutes and four seconds, something along those lines. And then, of course, the last possession, you have uh, the... uh, 
the pull-up three. I mean, what are we doing with the pull-up three? Which attack one? the basket. Which one? Attack the basket. We had Wagner left open on a screen, wide open, mind you, at the top of the key. Now, he hasn't, as you mentioned, been able to throw it in the ocean from a boat. The saying goes, shoot or shoot. And in that moment, being left wide open. Now, granted, he was a little bit farther back from the three-point line than a typical one. Air ball, and then the kids but got the rebound. at least got to hit the rim on that, man. Kids got the rebound. I, I... Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. And one thing I don't understand, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but as you know, and as listeners know, in college basketball, a timeout does not advance you the ball to half court like it does in the NBA. So it does with the girls. It does with the girls. They they have have so much better rules in the girls game. And the games have been so much better this tournament. So you need to advance the ball past half court, then call your timeout in order to get that luxury of having the ball past half court. Teams, for whatever reason, when they have the time to advance the ball or seemingly have the time to advance the ball, which I would deem to be probably with the speed in today's game, I would say at least least three seconds and up, depending on how you pass it. You obviously can pass it shorter and have the guy just sprint up there. Six seconds left. Michigan has two timeouts. They call one after the first, the free throws missed by Juzang because it's a two point game now and they have to go over. All right, well, they're not going to follow us now on a, on an inbounds pass because they're not up three. What are we going to do? I'm thinking they're going to advance the ball, then call their last timeout, drop a play. They do not. Nay, nay. Here comes Smith full speed going at Campbell who just assumes he's driving in the basket, so he gives him an anchor room, pull up three, miss, out of bounds. All right, you didn't want to call your timeout. Teams, for whatever reason, do not do this, and it blows my mind that you would rather go 94 feet than it would to be past half court. If you can do it, I don't understand it. Even on a missed free throw, put it in your team's head. We got to advance the ball and get it past half court. We have enough time, timeout. It blows my mind. Then they have their seven-footer with .5 seconds left inbounding the basketball. Now, they're able to get up a shot. The seconds exist for that that to be done. A pretty darn good shot. But why wouldn't you want your seven-footer to at least give the idea that maybe you're going to throw him a tip near the rim, and that's going to clog up the paint? He's the guy you're having inbound the ball? Then UCLA calls timeout, and you still put him back out there to inbound the ball. He's the tallest guy on the team. He's one of the only people that have scored for you tonight, and you drop the play for the dude that can't fucking shoot, and he bricks it. Tried to bank it in and wasn't trying to bank it in. I don't know if he tried to bank it in. He did not try, (laughs) Al. That's the problem. Jawan Howard has been a fantastic coach. He happened to walk into a good situation and he's made the best of it to that point. That last couple minutes 
I don't know how a, much was had, his decision, how much the team was. He had a bad stretch. That was a bad stretch of plays, Al. Bad, bad stretch. stretch of plays. That's an inexcusable loss for Michigan. And the Big Ten finally had their moment to shut everybody up. You could say what you want about the conference. Oh, it, it fell short of expectations. You could at least said, hey, we got, a, we got a team in the tournament, our number one team on that side of the bracket, playing without one of their best players. They're going to the Final Four. And instead, he got nothing. An inexcusable loss. And now we don't get to see that play out against Gonzaga. As you mentioned, I don't think they're going to have much trouble with UCLA because for whatever reason, on offense, nobody can figure out how to guard Drew Timmy and his fucking mustache and celebration after he gets a dunk. I don't know if it's because post players now just assume that everybody's going to be playing around the three-point line and nobody's going to be in the post doing work in the actual post, which he does. Nobody can guard him. It's incredible. So I'm, they're going to the national championship. What do you want me to tell you? My only hope is Baylor or Houston. That's my only hope. And the only thing else I got going for me is Indiana is a place where sometimes undefeated seasons go to die. See Kentucky. That's all I have going for me, Al. That's it. It's not looking good. It's not looking good to be a Gonzaga hater. It's not looking good at all. But UCLA well, shocked remember, the world to this point. Remember, they... Make it a contest, if, will you? If things, play, if things play out, they will be facing a very tough Baylor squad. They will. And that, you know, that will be a good game. It will be something worth everybody tuning into. It's just as remember, we mentioned folks, at the top, is, it's awkward when the game is being played. doesn't dislike a team or a coach. This is all built up, pent up frustration simply because the fact that one of their players beat out his favorite player for the, the Wooden Award, which is incredibly subjective, uh, bordering on moronic <laughs> because of the fact that you know, J.J. Reddick was not the player of the year. That's the thing. J.J. Reddick had no business winning the player of the year award, but Morrison was the better player. But like most Dukies, they cannot fathom the possibility of not being anointed all of the hardware because they wear the Duke Blue Devil uniforms. We are entitled to have that bestowed upon our player because he's a terrific player. He goes to Duke, and we had a really good season. Whether we want it or not, doesn't matter. We deserve it because we do. And Adam Morrison was the best player all year long. He deserved the Wooden Award. And my partner is still whining about it. <laughs> Think about that. He's whining about something that happened how many years ago? It was 2006. 2006. 2006. A college basketball player did not win an award he had no business winning. And because of that, he despises a team that's really tough to root against. What the hell's Mark Few still doing there, Al? Should have had his ass fired. Couldn't coach his team down the stretch of that game in 2006. They keep him around now to 2021. Come on. You Heck know, of a gig. But the real reason is to pull back the curtain. 
it all would have been fine as long as Duke got one more round farther. Heck of a gig. They both this this upset happens. Twenty five wins every year. Seventy three, seventy one. Not too shabby. Not too shabby. And Duke loses on the other side of the bracket to LSU. What? That's not supposed to happen. You're the number one seed, man. You didn't even make the Elite Eight. That that hurts. That hurts. You know who was on that team? Another asshole. Glenn Big Baby Davis wagging his tongue all over the court. Tearing up Duke. The former Celtic. Ah. Uh, it hurts. It hurts. But that's, so that's where it's we're down to place. four. We are in a place that a lot of us thought we were going to be with respect to the top two teams in the country. Have you been a fan of the, the times having to watch your orange at 10 o'clock, having to watch the Gonzaga game at 10 o'clock? I, or I don't give really it much. Or the, the days, I should say too. Really? I, I'm just happy to have the tournament, happy to have the games. I know some of them difficult times, but if it's a game I'm going to watch, I want to watch, I'm going to watch it. And we, we've always had, you know, the late, the late Saturday night game, uh, just the, the, the late Sunday night game. Uh, it's just different nights this year, you know, with, with stuff being moved back, but we've always had that game that you, you always were waiting for the, the disappointment is when the game sucks. That's the problem is right. when you want to finish your weekend and you've got a late Sunday night game, you're fired up. And if that game's a stinker, it's very disappointing. But I get you know, the times. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to Chris Russo you and, and, and you give the the, the the mad dog barking about. Well, you know, I can't, 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 Get paid a fortune. So if I can pull it off, I think you can. Regardless of how many gaggle of kids you have. You, know, you got the private room. It's not the kids are babies anymore. They're all young adults. You can manage to sit your fanning, as he likes to say, in front of your battery of sets. Yeah, they can find True TV. You know, have Denny from Yonkers go over there and find True TV for you. He'll find it for you. But the point is, you, know, you can find them when you watch your wall of TVs. In your library, when you finish putting down the Lincoln book, and talk about the games, and I, I agree 100. percent This basketball is not as good as it was years ago. The caliber of player is not as good as it was years ago. There's no El Cinder. There's no Walt. There's no David Thompson. Understood. But those are also you know three of the greatest college basketball players of all time. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. Uh, another handful, James Worthy. Uh, I understand that, Patrick Ewing. We, we don't have this super-duper star larger than life. Well, it's hard to have them now because when it looks like we're going to have them, they leave before they have a chance to become that. 
It's as you said, though, for Gonzaga, who he he also rails against. So at least we're on the same page with that. He is not his wording's a little different. He's not crowning them one of the best teams of all time. I'm not going to go through that list or put one together. You all know where my hatred stems from. But they've gone out and dominated every game in front of them in but this if, tournament if as well. So what, what are you going to do? If you've done what has only been done six times for a seventh time, you're a great team. They're not going to overtime. They're not down at half. These games are over, and they're coasting at the end every well, single thing, night. Is, is you're, you are you are watching a team play a very high level of basketball. And that is to be commended. They are playing at a very successful, positive, consistent rate, not down again, pull another rabbit out of the hat behind again, had their one scare. None of that. Nope. None of that. They're demolishing everything in their way. And they did it all season long. The one hiccup, West Virginia, five points. So they have been remarkably consistent. And they have been efficient. And they play the game the right way. Their skill set is high. They handle it well. They run their offense with great precision. They shoot it well. They finish. They defend. They rebound. They don't pound the ball nonstop. They have all the pieces. Now the question is, can they seal the deal? Gross. Question to you is this. Let's assume they beat UCLA and they lose to Baylor. Is the season a success? That age-old question. Is the season a success if you go 31-1 and and lose it in the national title game? No. Not anymore for them. They've set the bar far too high for that program. This isn't the Cinderella Gonzaga Bulldogs anymore. This is the, they're making the tournament every year. With and the if same that is your answer, helm. if that is your answer, that 31 and one and losing in the national title game is not a successful season, then you must now be labeling them a great program. Because that's how you judge great programs. You judge great programs not by how far they got, but by whether or not they won a championship. And this is a team who hasn't even won a championship yet. So you are putting on them the onus of if they don't win, the season is a failure. This is not Kentucky. This is not Duke. This is not UCLA of years gone by. This is not North Carolina. This is Gonzaga. So what you're saying is if they don't win the championship, even though they've never won one, it's not a great season. So you are holding them to the standard of championship or bust for it to be great. Yeah. Which means you're holding them the same standard as the great programs in America, all of whom have won multiple championships, with the exception, of course, of the great program Syracuse, which has only won the one championship. That's what they but want. But the point is, you can't have it both ways. That's what they want us to do, Al. That's what Mark Few wants. That's what Gonzaga wants. Respect us. We're meant to be here. All right. But my point Show is, if you are going then. to do that, then you can't go the Chris Russo route and say they're not a great program. 
I told you. If you were going to hold them to the great standard program. Because I don't have the list. I can't put a list together. I can't name that many great teams. So I have to go with, I'm a Duke fan, so we're obviously not pulling for the best team in the nation. You have to hate them. It's finally time for us to hate people since everybody hates us. And it goes all the way back to the Adam Morrison Heartbreak City game. That's all. I'm never getting rid of that grudge. Now we win the championship, we'll talk about it. But until then, if I don't you're have to going think about to, it. If you're going to hold them to that standard, then you can't say on the other hand that they're not a great program. You can't have it both ways. Show us something. Show us that you're great, Gonzaga. Come on. Show us something. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now, this will be interesting because the new report, old report, sometimes we differ on traditions and rule changes and switches to the game. The NFL bit the bullet, the poor National Football League decided, you know what, let's add one more game to our schedule. Just moronic. We are very in tune and concerned with player health and safety. We've preached it for years. Let's continue down that path by having them play one more football game. Are we going to make them have a one more bye week because of it? No, no. But we're very concerned about the health and safety of our NFL players. So much so. That's why we are going to add one more football game to the gamut. And they'll be fine. We'll but, but, rearrange but some we're things. Gonna take we'll away, we're going to take away an exhibition game that none of those guys play in anyway. Because the stats will tell you that's when the injuries really come, those exhibition games. So once we're playing regular season, things will be fine. I'm interested to hear your thoughts now on this on this 17th game. You could feel it coming for the past couple of years. And obviously now with a year removed from the coronavirus and lost revenue across the entire board, what better way to get that back than add one more football game that every football fan will fall in love with 32 teams, 32 teams, 16 in each conference, four divisions, four of each 16 games. All even numbers, all working out perfectly. Four division winners, two wild cards, six, all even numbers. When I was born, it was 12 games. Shortly thereafter, it went to 14. Then, obviously, in the late 70s, it went to 16. Always even, always something you could look at that looked right. The numbers have a way of making sense. The divisibility, the commonality. How does 17 fit into that mix? Tell me where 17 fits in. The 32 teams, 16 in each conference, eight divisions of four apiece. Where does 17 fit into that mix? Tell me. I'm lost. I don't get it. I could even argue 18. Make the season longer. More buys. 18 games. Super Bowl Sunday. 
is the day before President's Day. The whole world takes it off. Perfect fit, which we've been seeing for years. 18 games, two exhibition games, but spread the time out. Give them more rest. 17? 17. Seven fucking team makes no fucking sense to the old report. It doesn't make much sense to the new report either. I don't see the reasoning aside from the money grab. I don't know why you would need to argue for it for anything other than that. And not even a, we're going to run this out in 2023. Let's just get through this season after all the hell that we went through last year, all through sports and all through the world. Let's just try to get fans back for starters. Something which Roger Goodell thinks is going to be easy peasy and all stadiums will be filled with fans in the 2021 season. Nothing to back that up. He's just very optimistic. Thanks, Raj. We'll be happy to pay you the 200 plus dollars for the nosebleed seats to make sure everything's happy-go-lucky for you. No added bye week. The record books now throw them out, light them on fire. I understand, as you mentioned, the seasons haven't always been 16 weeks. So the records aren't 100% accurate, nor are they in, in most sports. You have to make it known that's pre this, post that, etc. But in today's NFL, you had one more game. It's not like that's going to be 50 more yards for a running back or 100 more yards for the quarterback. This is going to start skewing everything for all-time records, and there's going to come a time where it's just not going to matter anymore, and we'll just accept up 17 games. So-and-so is the record holder for passing yards. All he needed was 12 more games, 400 yards per game. Do the math. Records will mean nothing. Records will mean nothing. Of all the sports to go non-even, you pick the sport with the fewest number of games where every week matters more than the next. Now nine teams are going to have one more home game than the other half of the league. Well, it's okay because the owners came up with a little deal where half the league will play nine home games the one year, and then the other half will play the road games the next year. It's moronic. Well, that's great. But what happens when it benefits the home teams this year? What difference does it make if you're switching it next? What what, what what do you play? How often do we? I got to go to Europe once every how many years? What's that? You know, who wants to go to play in London? Who wants to go play? In, you know, in in Berlin. Who gives a rat's ass about playing over there? It's going to rain. That's what you know. Where whatever soccer field you're going to play at, it's going to rain. Because every time you watch one of those games over there, it's raining and it's unwatchable. It's the Jaguars. <laughs> And nobody looks like they want to be there. And the game sucks. And the field is all ripped up. And it's unwatchable. And oh, by the way, it starts. Because to me, the goal has always been this. The goal has been to have a game of the week across the pond so they can start you at 9 a.m. That, to me, has been the goal of the NFL. 
start you at 9 a.m. when you wake up and run you until midnight. 9 a.m., across the pond. Then you have your pregame at 12 with your 1 o'clock starts. Your 42 1 o'clock games, your two 4 o'clock games. God forbid we make them even. Sunday Sunday night. night game, so you're with the NFL, watching games, gambling, involved from nine o'clock in the morning until midnight. Yep. That is the goal of the NFL. That's the, that's the purpose to me for having the games abroad. They're like, the games abroad always suck. That's absolutely the, the, right. The, the, the games abroad are, are 44 to three or 10 to six. And you're watching to see who covers. It's the only reason you're watching fantasy football. That's changed the game completely it's for them to do that. Pathetic football. Unwatchable. Football. You mentioned well, maybe this will lead to 18 games. Trying it out, we'll get used to it. The CBA says that you can expand the regular season now beyond 17 games for the entirety of the deal, which means the soonest owners can expand to 18 games is 2031, 10 years from now, unless the players agree to open up the CBA and renegotiate, which usually doesn't happen. So there we are, 10 years of 17 games. I don't, for the life of me, understand it, aside from it being a money grab for so both the owners, the TV. What else do you have to understand? National Football League is about, they're all about money, but more than any other one, more than any other professional sports league, the National Football League is about money. And to me, this is a pathetic money grab and it just makes no sense. And it it is contrary to everything we've watched for years, what we're used to for years, what the old report has thrived on for years. And you bastardize all of the records, all of them. Every regular season record now is bastardized. It's all right, though, because the commissioner of the National Football League said, quote, the decision to expand was a monumental moment in NFL history. And if it's good enough for Roger Goodell, damn it, it's good enough for us. I don't get it. And it's the problem there is I like Roger Goodell. I'm one of the few who thinks he's a good commissioner. You are. He's he's despised, I think, by all millennials. But and I actually think he does care about the players. But I don't understand that the, this need for 17 games. I just don't. I just there's plenty of money. They just signed the new TV contract. Money is not an issue. You don't need the 17th game. It's just it. It. You mean takes, the NFL is not the mom and pop business that lost thousands upon thousands of dollars over the last year because they lost businesses it, and people coming in and revenue, et cetera. You mean they're, they're not a, impacted like the, those types of businesses were this year. Interesting. I thought, that's I, why I, I don't, I don't think there's any sign out front that says closed. Oh, geez. Interesting. Not, 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 not sure when we'll be back. Uh, uh-uh. remember they played right through the heart of the pandemic without batting an eyelash. No bubbles, no troubles. 
We'll see you on Sundays. Rain, shine, positive. No fans, no problem. We got TV contracts to comply with our partners. We're going to abide by them. We do everything we can to meet our obligations. And they did. Their credit. There's no need. They gave us football when we needed badly, badly, something to take our minds off the national tragedy, the worldwide tragedy that we were going through. Over half a million American lives. And still, still counting. But it looks like the worst is clearly over. But in the heart of it, they brought us football. They brought us a diversion, a welcome diversion. There's no need for a 17th game. It's just not something that, to me, makes any sense other than to line their pockets. And their pockets are lined plenty. That's the point. There's plenty of dough to go around. Like I said, collective bargaining agreement in place, labor peace, new TV contract, hemorrhaging money with all the networks. You don't need the 17th game. You don't have to be a pig. Nobody circles the wagons like the National Football League. Al, next week, we'll have a national champion crowned next week. And, folks, if you think he was bad this week with the Gonzaga hatred and the never-ending loyalty (laughs) to J.J. Raddick since traded and bitching about it, wait till next week if Gonzaga wears the crown. Until then, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, AKL from White Plains. Have a great sports weekend and enjoy the Final Four. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.